0: The reading this morning is from Ephesians 5, uh, starting in verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You guys may have a seat. It is definitely warm in here today. So it's that time of year. We just never know what we're gonna get. But I think it's getting cooler as we uh, go on, which is always good. Um, So earlier this year, I decided, uh, maybe against better judgment, that I was going to run a half marathon coming up uh, in in a couple months at the end of February. I think uh, some of you are looking at me going, that's a big mistake. Uh, I don't know if that was the, the wisest choice, and it may, may not be. I, we'll, we'll find out if I'm going to be able to run 13 miles at the end of February. But in making that decision, I've had to be very intentional about a, a training regimen for myself. Uh, and those of you who do any sort of exercise or uh, races or anything athletic know that you have to train uh, in order to play in the game or to run the race, uh, there is something very wise about taking the set training regimen in a certain amount of time to make best use of the days ahead of the race or ahead of the game, whatever it might be. In other words, you can't just wake up uh, the morning of the race having never run before and think that you are going to do well the day of the race. And so I need to be wise with how I am numbering both my days and my miles that I am running here ahead of the race in late February. The the Bible makes the connection over and over again with how we measure our days, how we look at our days, how we use our hours. The Bible makes the connection between that and wisdom and how we live. How, How do we live a wise life? And so often the Bible is going to bring us back to consider your days, measure your days. As we just heard from Ephesians 5, the days themselves are evil because temptation and sin and death are all around. We know that's a feature of our life. And so the Bible compels us over and over again, consider your days, number your days. And so this morning we're actually going to be in Psalm 90. If you have the Word of God and want to open it up to Psalm 90, Psalm 90 is a Uh, A wonderful companion to what Kirk read out of Ephesians 5. It's a similar theme about how we are to look upon our days that God has given us here on this side of heaven. So I'm going to read Psalm 90 over us, and then we will pray. And the word of the Lord says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, ever you have formed the earth and the world, "'from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. "'You return man to dust and say, "'Return, O children of man. "'For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday, "'when it is past or as a watch in the night. "'You sweep them away as with a flood. "'They are like a dream, like grass "'that is renewed in the morning. "'In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, "'in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, and the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring out years to an end like a sigh. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands of our hands. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful that you are a God who hears these prayers, that we, as your people, are called to be honest, to confront our mortality, to understand how frail we are, how brief this life is, and that you are everlasting to everlasting, that you are outside of time, that you are eternal And as we see that we are passing away because of sin and your wrath against sin, I pray that we would have sobriety about us. I pray that we would ask you to help us number our days, that you would be teaching us wisdom in the secret heart, that wisdom comes from understanding the urgency that comes with this life. Pray that we would also recognize the gospel is what brings us great joy, that we can be glad even in the midst of evil and sin and and death itself because you have saved us. You have come for us and we are grateful and glad. Pray that we would be glad all the days of our lives because of your wonderful gospel and the truth that comes from it. And we ask that you would help us as we desire to work unto the Lord as our faith is put into action, faith expressing itself in love, pray that you would bless us, pray that we would be a people that would be established in our work for your glory. And we love you, and we ask that you would help us this morning see your truth in this text, and we know that that is a work that you are pleased to do, and so we ask in Christ's name, amen. Well, the psalmist here, uh, it seems pretty, pretty clear, is, uh, as I said, honest. He's reviewing his life. Uh, this is, uh, as we read here, a prayer of Moses. So this very well could be Moses looking back at his life, understanding where he has been, uh, and doing an honest reflection and review of his life. And so I figured this is a really good day. do such a thing. Uh, Many of us are going to, uh, if we haven't already, spend some time today thinking back on the year that was. That is, after all, what New Year's Eve is all about. We consider what happened this year? If you watch the news, this is the day where they will review all the big stories of the year. They'll, they'll show you who passed away this year, who, who of all the celebrities are no longer with us, uh, what have been the big things in this year in pop culture and politics and sports. This is a day where we uh, have honest reflection. This is a day where we consider the the year that was. We consider all that was hard, all that was uh, joyous. We had many highs and many lows. And this psalm not only looks back at a life and is honest about a life, but at the end of this psalm, we see that there's a great expectation that God will be at work in our lives, That we look forward, just as much as we look back, we look forward as God's people. We we look forward to the future, walking in wisdom, understanding that we will have joy and gladness and that our work would be blessed. And so, this also is a day where we look ahead to tomorrow, which is a new year. We look ahead to 2024. That comes in all uh, forms and fashions. Uh, There will be some of you that will make resolutions, some of you that will just uh, renew a desire to uh, walk faithfully with God, uh, maybe to add something to your routine or take something away from your routine. Uh, I don't know what it exactly is going to be for you, but this is the day, this is the moment in every calendar year where where we do these things. We reflect on the year that was and we look forward to the year that is to come. If you picked up a little sheet on the way in, it has our announcements on one side and then it has the uh, place to take notes for the sermon this morning and I want to give you the main idea. The main idea of the message is because He is God and we are not, we need His wisdom, love, and favor in this brief life. He is God, we are not. He is from everlasting to everlasting. We, as the psalmist says, at best have 70 or 80 years. So because he is God and we are not, we need his wisdom, love, and favor in this brief life. You can uh, hear some of the the. Tones or the themes that would be associated with Moses. If, Mo- if Moses indeed wrote this prayer or psalm, then you can uh, consider Moses' life, a lot of it spent in the wilderness. And so you can think about Moses and the people of God in the wilderness. And as he opens this prayer, this psalm, he, he declares right off the bat, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. In the midst of a desert, in the midst of the wilderness, uh, when the people of God were leaving Egypt and moving toward the promised land, who was their dwelling place? Who is the rock but the Lord, God Himself? And we see that he is from everlasting to everlasting, which is a a sign of his great mercy and grace that this God who is huge, big, outside of time, eternal, would choose to be the dwelling place of God's people. I pray that brings you great encouragement this morning. He is from everlasting to everlasting, but he is also our dwelling place But what Moses, or the psalmist here, spends most of his time talking about is actually uh, the brevity of man, the brevity of this life. Uh, He spends uh, more words talking about the fact that we are born and then we return to dust. And this doesn't just happen to one person or five people or 100 people, it happens to all of us. That all of us, generation after generation, are born and then we will return to dust and we read this psalm and we understand that we really are just just passing through. We really are just kind of passing through this life. Again, we might get seventy or eighty years on earth, and then, as the psalmist says, we're like the grass that is renewed in the morning, but by evening has withered away. We are we are like a flood that is swept away. Things that are swept away in a flood We're we're like a passing dream. And so the Sober sobering reality is that uh, this is our life. The fact is that uh, there will be very likely none of us whom our great-grandchildren or great-great-grandchildren will even know our names. This is how obscure a life that most all of us will will live, that most of us are not going to be found in any type of history book later on, Um, that again, even our own families, our descendants, will not even know who we are. That, that is where we find ourselves this morning. And of course, these things, we, we butt up against uh, the things in our society that are trying to rage against those things. Of course, uh, we live in a time where uh, you are to make a name for yourself. You're to be an influencer. Uh, you are to gather as many people as you can for a platform. You, you're trying to curate notoriety for yourself. You're trying to find this uh, uh, fountain of youth, this fountain of fame or notoriety. This is what the world is chasing after. This is what we are being discipled in, in this world. It's, it's not a world, it's not a culture that readily understands that this life is brief and that we are, by all accounts, obscure and no technology, no, ad, no advancement, no drug, no pharmaceutical miracle or breakthrough, uh, no virtual reality headset is going to change the fact that you and I will die. And that you and I will die in this type of obscurity. Now, this is how it is, and we have to be honest about these things. This is our life. This is, this is our lot. This is what uh, is our reality, and yet we know it's not how it was supposed to be. Uh, I say these things, and I'm even looking at your faces, and, and I understand that that's not the happiest news, that it's uh, not what we want to hear, that I'm going to die in obscurity, that not, even my own grandchildren and great-grandchildren won't even know my name. That doesn't bring a smile to anybody's face in this room, and the reason is, is that God has put eternity on our hearts. He's put eternity on our heart, and yet we find ourselves frustrated and frail and finite because of where we are. And then we have to ask the question, if this is not how it was supposed to be, if God has put eternity on our heart, and yet here we are understanding that we only have, again, at best, 70 or 80 years, uh, then why? Why are the things like they are? And in verse 7, our psalmist tells us, we are brought to an end by God's anger. He says, by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. The wages of sin is death. I think most of us know that, most of us, uh, that that is something that we have been able to uh, take to heart, that we understand as we've been redeemed in Christ, that we understand that the wages of sin is death. And the psalmist here in Psalm 90 is essentially saying that, that the wages of sin is death. That's why, that's why we all die. That's why we are up under the wrath of God against sin. And the psalmist recognizes our own corporate culpability when it comes to sin. Notice that he is talking uh, in a way that is including everyone. He's not even saying this is only for him, but he is saying for all of us, we have iniquities. We have secret sins. This is what we just prayed about from Psalm 19, that we commit sins every day. Some of those sins are very much high-handed, disobedient, rebellious sins that we know God's word speaks against. Some of those sins are secret, are hidden. We might not even understand what's going on, but all of this that we can see is exposed before the face of God. You see that he uh, says there in verse 8 that all of our iniquities are set before God, our secret sins in the light of God's presence. This is, this is honesty. Again, this is uh, this is the honest reflection of our life. As we set here at the end of 2023, no matter how old you are right now, if you look back on your life, whether it's a, been a short life or you've lived a longer life, this is the reality. This, this, is, this is our lot. And so we really do uh, have to look at verse 11, which is a question Here's the question. It says, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? We we really need to read that question and be honest that we don't have a really good answer to that in and of ourselves because we don't appropriately consider the power of God's anger with the appropriate fear of the Lord. I wish that I had a confident answer to that question in verse 11. But the the reality is that I don't have an appropriate fear of the Lord, and God has rightfully poured out wrath against rebellion and sin. So, life is brief. It's filled with suffering. It's filled with suffering because of our own sins and the consequences of our own sins. It's also uh, because of the sins of other people against us, both the high handed, grievous sins, the presumptuous sins, the hidden sins, the hidden faults. This world is broken. The days are evil. As I was working on this message this week, I was in a coffee shop. And at the time I was there, there, were, there weren't a, a ton of people in the coffee shop, and uh, in walks an older gentleman uh, who clearly uh, is a regular at this coffee shop because the barista immediately called him by his name and asked him how he was that morning, and he came in and he was in tears and, and told uh, the barista that his wife had died the day before. He said, "'My wife died yesterday.'" And this man and this barista who clearly knew each other, uh, she came back around from behind the counter and embraced this man and wept with him in the middle of crude coffee. And I'm working on this psalm, and I'm looking at the scene, and I'm saying, man, this world's so sad. It's sad. It was moving this man's loss And reading this psalm in Psalm 90 and understanding that uh, it reminds us of so many of the truths found in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you've read through Ecclesiastes, you know that there's some hard questions in that book. There's some hard sayings in that book. It reminded me of Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 2. It says this, it is better to go to the house of mourning Rather than to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. The living will lay it to heart. When we face our mortality head on, that's what we're called to do. So I hope as as, as difficult as some of these things that we've already talked about this morning are, are I hope that uh, you understand that I'm not just trying to bum us all out, uh, that I'm not trying to talk about really hard things and remind us that the world is sad and there's a lot of suffering and we're going to sin and then send us all out to have a happy new year. That's, that's not my intention this morning. But there is something about acknowledging these things. There is something that we have to understand about suffering and the brevity of life and the house of mourning rather than going to the house of feasting because we are to understand how we live in light of these things. That the, the author of Ecclesiastes says, those of you who go to the house of mourning, you're going to take this to heart. You're going to lay it to your own heart. And that's exactly what the psalmist here in Psalm 90 does. He does it as we get to verse 12. In verse 12, we have a shift in Psalm 90. Uh, Before verse 12, it's the psalmist, again, talking about the eternality of God, talking about the frailty and brevity of this life as man. But then in verse 12, he says, In light of all that, so teach us teach us. In verse 14, he says, satisfy us. In verse 17, he says, bring us favor. I want to spend the rest of our time this morning considering how this psalm pushes us to calibrate, celebrate, and cultivate. Those are the three things I want us to look at. We calibrate, celebrate, and cultivate. First, we calibrate. That's verse 12. In verse 12, He says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. This is essentially the the same thing that Paul is saying in Ephesians 5 that Kirk read to us at the very beginning, that the days are evil. We want to know how we are to walk in wisdom, and here in Psalm 90, he says, teach us, teach us how to number our days That we need to be reminded that sin has rendered the days evil. The days are evil, they're brief, and so we need to number our days in order to walk wisely through this life. And we don't avoid the reality that life is hard, but are proactively honest about it. Molly and I had uh, some friends, some dear friends, that went through something uh, horrific several years ago. Uh, these dear friends were a big part of our life, but the man, our, the husband, was harboring secret, grievous sin, and, and their whole life basically came crashing down when, when this sin uh, came to light. And in the midst of this severe trial that they were walking in, uh, our friend, this husband, uh, decided to really advocate for a life of stoicism. Stoicism. He, he actively and, and uh, verbally said, I'm going to live a life as a Stoic. If you don't know what Stoicism is, Stoicism essentially is a philosophy that says grieving and entering, entering emotionally into the hardships of life by grieving and understanding how hard things are is not worth it. Stoicism is actually living above the sorrows as if that is possible, and it is possible to uh, to uh, cordon off your heart and mind from suffering and grief, and the life of a Stoic can go through life kind of grit their teeth and putting their head down and not acknowledging how hard life is. But the Bible knows nothing about Stoicism. The Bible is not Stoic philosophy. Wisdom is not ignoring the pain. I love what Pastor Zach Eswine says in his commentary on Ecclesiastes. He says this, wisdom does not use sad things to avoid life. Wisdom uses sad things to learn life. By the sadness of the face, the heart is made glad. That's Ecclesiastes 7.3. The preacher doesn't say that it is better to be sad. He says that it is better to engage sadness and and to take to heart what it has to teach us who live. And so we... We acknowledge the sadness, and we learn from the sadness, and as the psalmist says, teach us, O Lord, teach us how to number our days. And that is what he is calling us to do, to number our days. If the Lord tarries, and none of us die in 2024, then we will have 366 days. It's a leap year, so we get that extra day in twenty four. Three 366 days to fear the Lord. 366 days to live in godly obedience. 366 days to submit to the Lord. If numbering our days leads to wisdom then avoiding numbering our days has to lead to folly. It is the one who doesn't consider the things that Psalm 90 is showing us that lives ultimately a foolish life. The one that doesn't consider that you have only so many days on this earth, there's there's folly in not pursuing numbering our days. There's some urgency here I think we we understand the urgency, and yet so many of us, uh, myself, chief among us, fail to really appropriately number my days. So, So then how do we do such a thing? How do we number our days? It's one thing just to count. It's one thing to wake up and say, here's day one of 2024. What does it look like to number our days? I would encourage you to take time to really consider these things with with your friends and family. Uh, Maybe if you're getting together with friends tonight, if you're spending time with family in the week ahead, what does it look like for you in your life, in your family, in your sphere of influence to number your days? I, I want to encourage you to think about those things. Write them down. Uh, to, to really have a thoughtfulness about your days in 2024. Maybe it's memorizing Scripture, something that we've desired to do here at City Church is together memorize. We, we uh, set, set off to memorize 1 Peter chapter 2 in 2023. And in 2024, uh, we're going to try to memorize together Psalm 16. So maybe that is part of how you number your days is that each day you wake up with the Lord, you memorize psalm 16 maybe numbering your days means stewarding your health or your money in a better way than you did in 2023 or maybe ever how do you understand the brevity of this life the finite number of resources that god will give you and how do you how do you apportion that and steward that well unto him there's so many other ways that we can calibrate our life. There's so many other ways that we can number our days. What is it for you? I just want to encourage you to take the time in the next few days to really consider those things before the Lord and with one another. We need one another's accountability and help in those things. And so I pray that this is indeed a corporate exercise that we can do here at the church. All right, so we calibrate, but then secondly, we celebrate. This is verses 13 through 15 that say this. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Are you sensing the hope that we're beginning to get to in this psalm? Again, it's been pretty low so far in Psalm 90. We're talking about how brief this life is, that death is a certainty, that sin is why God is angry. And now we're beginning to get to hope that the psalmist says and prays, teach me, teach us how to number our days and gain a heart of wisdom. And now we're getting to hope in that we can live joyful lives, that we can celebrate in the midst of these hard realities in our life, that the, Psalm, the psalmist is speaking of gladness and joy and satisfaction, satisfy us in the morning. This is gospel hope, that in the midst of heartbreak and evil and death, that we can celebrate in Jesus. In Jesus, we can be glad and have joy. After all, it it was Jesus who, being the eternal God, God the Son, came down, put on flesh. He was brought down all the way to the dust, the same dust that the psalmist talks about that we return to when we die. Jesus is intimately aware of the dust of the earth, and he is our ultimate dwelling place. It's what we were called into worship from Revelation 21 that Andrew read over us, that he is our dwelling place. Nobody understands the brevity of life and the curse of death better than Jesus Christ. Only Jesus perfectly considered the power of the wrath of God as he perfectly feared and obeyed his Father Remember I I said in verse 11, I can't honestly answer that question. I can't with integrity answer that question that I understand the power of God's wrath as I perfectly fear the Lord. Only one person has ever done that, and his name is Jesus. Only Jesus knows truly the power of the wrath of God, and he knew it even as he perfectly feared the Lord. That wrath was powerfully poured out on Jesus. Jesus drank the cup of wrath. He drank it all the way down for you and for me. He did that for us so that we might be able to, in him, rejoice and celebrate such a beautiful salvation. Why would he do such a thing? Why would Jesus do such a thing? Because he loves us. I pray that we don't skip by that casually. That could be the the Jesus answer. That could be the Sunday school answer. So so often we're so familiar with it. Jesus loves us. He did these things because he loves us. And family, that is so true. But let that just sink in for a bit. That the one who was from everlasting to everlasting became a man, perfectly obedient, obedient, who feared his father and was punished because he loves us and wants us for himself. The prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11, says this, Out of the anguish of his soul, meaning Jesus, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, And he shall bear their iniquities. Our Jesus is satisfied in the sacrifice that he has made. And he's satisfied in that sacrifice because he understands that he, in doing so, is making many to be accounted righteous. As he bared our iniquity, now we have his righteousness. What a glorious truth. And so, yes, we will die. We will. But in Christ, and because of the gospel, we can say with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? He is satisfied. Jesus is satisfied. The wrath of God has been satisfied, and therefore, we can be satisfied. We shall be satisfied. Satisfy us in the morning. Will you be satisfied tomorrow morning when it's the first day of 2024 in Jesus? What will you be satisfied in tomorrow morning? Will you celebrate as the calendar turns that Jesus has shown us immense mercy and grace That by the blood of Jesus Christ, he has forgiven us our debts on the cross. That ultimately, we are satisfied, not on just any morning, but we are ultimately satisfied on the morning of the resurrection. That the first Easter morning is the morning in which we are satisfied fully in Christ. So being satisfied in that morning, let us be satisfied tomorrow morning. Psalm 90 reminds us that we have seen hard things. Psalm 90 reminds us that we will see hard things to come, that more hard things will come, but the resurrection compels us to joy. Lord, we have seen hard things, but make us glad. We've seen hard things. Satisfy us. Make us glad each of the 366 days of 2024. So we, we calibrate, we, we number our days, we celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ, and finally, we cultivate. Here's verses 16 and 17. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Do you see the trajectory in Psalm 90. Again, that we are confronted with the brevity of life, but then the psalmist says, teach me wisdom. Teach me to number my days according to you and according to your power. Then we celebrate the gospel and the overflow of gaining wisdom and celebrating the gospel is work unto the Lord. It's fruitful work unto God. God, bless the work of our hands. This is an act of faith. This is faith expressing itself in love. So the question is, what is the work of our hands? Certainly, the church has been called to a certain work. The church has been called in the Great Commission to make disciples that we here at City Church have talked about, that we make disciples in truth, hope, and steadfastness. That is the work of our hands that we are asking God to bless, that, that we love him and love others, that, that we see the, the greatest commandment work itself out in our lives. So the church, for us, this is the work of our hands. This is what we're asking God to bless, to show us favor. And then individually, What is the work of your hands? What what has God called you to do? And what sphere has he called you into? Is it at home with your children? Is it at a workplace? Is it on a mission field? Is it all of those things? What is the work of your hands? Whatever it is, may our prayer be, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. As we disciple our children at home, as they are being discipled right now by brothers and sisters downstairs in Kids City, as we evangelize our neighbors, as we mentor the Academy for Kids that some of us are doing, we want to ask God to cultivate all these things in the life of each individual believer in our church. Cultivate our preaching and teaching, our singing and reading, our praying and fasting. Lord, establish the work of our hands. I can't think of a, of a better prayer that we might pray here on the last day of 2023 as we do an honest reflection and review of our life in this past year and as we look ahead to a new year. I pray that we calibrate, celebrate, and cultivate unto the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we, we do need your help uh, we, we proclaim with the psalmist that uh, you have to teach us, that these are not things that we uh, come to on our own, but that we rely solely on you to reveal wisdom. And we do that as we fear the Lord, as we, as we walk in a, in a healthy, familiar fear of reverence of who you are and what you have done So we pray that you would help us to calibrate our lives, to count our days, to number our days, knowing that they will be brief, that we are just passing through, that we make the most of our our days not for our own glory or for a platform or for influence that we have, but for your glory and for your influence and for your name to be made renowned. Teach us to number our days. Father, I pray that you would help us to be joyful and glad in heart, even in the midst of these difficult things that we've thought about this morning, that the gospel propels us to joy. You've come to die for us. That you've also come to be raised to new life. And those of us who are found in you will have eternal joy. So I pray that we're able to celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ And I pray that you would help us to cultivate in our lives the work of our hands unto you, that whether that be at our homes, with our little ones, at the workplace, with our neighbors, I pray that you would help us, that you would establish the work of our hands for your glory and your majesty. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.